0: Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We are located in Seattle, Washington. As a church, we want to be a community of faithfully present people with God, self, and others. We hope that this encourages you to do the same wherever you are. And thanks for joining us. Good morning, Seattle. It is my pleasure to preach for Dr. Alex Early today. He's one of my best friends in the world. I just love him and his wife and kids Uh, I love Seattle. I've had a wonderful time every time I've been there, and so blessings to you guys today. Um, As of when you're watching this, potentially we have our president-elect, or maybe it's continuing to drag on, there has been a ton of passion on both sides of the line, right? Democratic passion, Republican passion. Everybody is just filled with emotion and desire and angst, And can we just agree, no matter who we voted for, can we agree that Jesus Christ is Lord of heaven and earth and that he is the I am and he will be forever and ever. And so regardless of if our candidate won or not, we as believers can anchor ourselves in the hope that it's Christ Jesus, not a governmental position or a political affiliation. Let me give a little bit of review from last week. I listened to a good deal of the sermon that was preached uh, by uh, Mr. Saltzman, I believe. Really enjoyed it. Um, Here's some of the things that I gathered from the past, this first nine verses in Acts 17. Paul has declared that Jesus is the Messiah. And when he did that, you saw a response in terms of what we're seeing in our country right now. You saw a passionate response to what he said. He has not declared that Jesus is a way, but he's, he's speaking to the religious and governmental left and right in his day and saying Jesus is the only way. He draws on the prophecies of Old Testament to declare Jesus this Messiah they have been waiting on. He declares this not only to the Jews, but to Gentiles, not only to men, but to women. The gospel, we know this, is for all people when the gospel is declared it is sensational it causes questions concerns change new life and also i would add to what i heard in the sermon last week that beauty leads to truth that is was such a beautiful quote in the sermon last week but absolute truth usually i think 99% of the time leads to violence either violence in our emotions in our physical bodies or in our spiritual process. So today we'll be in Acts 17, 10 through 34. Let me pray and we'll get started. Lord Jesus, would you just open our eyes that we might see? It's my pleasure and honor to tell the story today from Acts 17, And just to recount some of the details from history, there's a few points that you want us to connect with, and so I would ask, Holy Spirit, that you would move um, from our church here in Texas to Redemption Church in Seattle, that you would speak to them, that you would move to people that may be listening to this in other spaces, that you would move in our body and around the world and make it clear that you are Lord of heaven and earth and you have a plan and we can trust you. And the the angst, the anxiety, the pressure that we feel today in our our world is the same as it was when these scriptures were written. In your name we pray, King Jesus. Amen. Hear the word of God, Acts 17, verse 10. Now, Paul has done all these things. Uh, The people have become violent to the truth that he has revealed to them. As soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. The people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. I guess that means they didn't want to kill him as fast. I mean, this was Paul's kind of modus operandi. He would go into his city. He would preach the gospel to the Jews. A lot of times they would beat the living tar out of him, drag him out of town. He would come back in and he would preach to the Gentiles. Since they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if things were so. A little bit more of an astute mindset. Uh, In Berea, a more desire to hear what people say and then examine it From the scriptures. So let's talk about what just happened. Paul had with care shared the truth with people in Thessalonica. Some had responded by believing Jews, Gentiles, men, women. Others had responded with violence. The believers sent Paul and Silas secretly to Berea. This was about forty-five miles away, more inland. If you're looking at the map right now, this is where it is. It's probably about forty-five miles to the west. Paul immediately, when he got to Berea, probably at least a three-day walk, went to the synagogue and shared the what? Paul shared the truth. And the beauty of the gospel does lend itself to the truth. And I would just submit to you today that you and I, as followers of Jesus, we do bring a powerful truth. And yet, if you have witnessed it all, and especially in areas like Seattle, where there are just people that are angry and vehemently against the gospel, they would respond to you in a more negative way. Paul shares the truth. He told them of another king, King Jesus, the Messiah. Verse 12. Consequently, as Paul shares this, many of them believed, including a number of the prominent Greek women as well as men. We see the first century church, and on from there for a period of time, fully recognizing that men and women are not unequal, but equal in God's eyes, and he loves them, and he calls them the same. And so we see Jesus leading in this, we see the apostles leading in this, and definitely we see Paul leading the same, not sequestering women off, but bringing all people that they might hear the truth. Verse 13, But when the Jews from Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul at Berea, 45 miles away, they came there too, agitating and upsetting the crowds. I think we can look around in our country today and realize that when people's emotions are in charge and are in control, some pretty harsh things can happen. There's no different back in the day. So angry were the people who disagreed with Paul and the believers that they traveled three days also all the way to Berea to disagree and cause issue. Now, these were some committed folks. Again, we see a high level of commitment on every side of governmental structure right now, on every side of philosophical thought, on every side of religious discipline, at least three days of travel to get there. Uh, Please tell me, where you need to spend three days of travel to get anywhere in the world today. And I would say maybe there's some faraway mountain or some deep jungle that maybe it would take longer. But you know what I mean? We can fly around the world in less than a day. We can get pretty much anywhere in a day and a half. So it was a huge commitment for these people, how angry and emotional they were, to travel three days to some place to Disrupt the situation and be willing to travel three days back. Verse 14, Then the brothers and sisters in Berea sent Paul immediately to go to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed on there. Those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving instructions for Silas and Timothy to come to him as quickly as possible, they departed. Now Paul is taken about a hundred miles further to Athens. Hmm. I wonder what Paul is going to do there. Taking a vacation? Maybe. Not likely. Paul in Athens, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, did he just hang out? Did he just see the sights? This is not what a man or woman of passion does. When you and I are filled with the beauty of truth and we we see its relevance and its importance and how it changes your life, what must we do with that truth, Seattle? What must we do with that? We have to talk about it. We have to speak about it in Texas around the world. We have to verbalize what we know is life-changing regardless of of the circumstances. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worship God, as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. Some said, why is this ignorant show-off trying to say? So Paul is deeply distressed. And here the word in Greek literally means troubled, irritated, bothered. And so I just I want to say to anybody that's listening right now are we are we bothered? And irritated does not mean angry at somebody for being something they are. It means literally internally agitated because we know truth. And we are hearing people or seeing people or interacting with people that don't know that truth. Christian, have we gotten past that place to where we are a bit callous in terms of how we see the world act? Now, it doesn't mean that you and I can change them by our anger or by how much you shout at them or by how much you post on social media. That's that's all, regardless, what I wanna know right now is where are you in your heart when you see sin and people that have no knowledge and actually a hatred for God, does this bother you? Does this trouble you? Does this irritate your spirit to want to do something about it? Now, two, two of the philosophies that were spoken about right now, first one was Epicurean. We use that to talk about Epicurean desires in terms of culinary pursuits or chefs or, or cooking or baking or those kind of things. That's not actually what it meant it was one of the first humanistic philosophies. It was enjoy one another, be nice, find pleasure in being good, be logical. But the bottom line is with Epicurean philosophical thought is that you are in control. You are the one that can, that can decide to enjoy what life has given you. The second one, which is a little bit different than the Epicurean um, Emotional and spiritual and physical, not sexual, but all those things. Pleasures, stoic was a little different. This was a discipline of your emotions. This was a mastery of self. You're more logical. You are in control. You are in control. Again, it's up to you. You get to decide what is your truth. These self-taught we-can-do-it folks saw what Paul was espousing as idiotic, simplistic, ignorant. And I would just say that most of us, quite a few of us, aren't dumb. A lot of us have high education. A lot of us have a lot of worldly experience. We have knowledge based on successes and failures. And so I, I don't think I've been in your church before. Uh, You're a pretty smart congregation. I, my church here, pretty smart congregation. And yet, you and I, if we're going to follow Jesus, we are looked upon as simplistic, as simple, as not really higher level thinking. Are you okay with that? Let me give you a couple verses from scripture. This is from Paul as well when he's writing letters to the church in Corinth, which was a bleeding edge, awesome city on the move back then, just like Seattle is. Very cutting edge. Everything was super cool. Cool. And here's what Paul says. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it is the power of God to us who are being saved. It's what to your friends and family that don't follow Jesus? You are a fool. You are stupid. You are simple. You are not a thinker. Yet, it is the power, it is the dunamis, the dynamite power of God to us are being saved. So in our community today, as believers, we have a responsibility to speak of this beautiful truth that we know. And yet a lot of times it's going to end up in a place where you will looked down upon. Maybe some violence will ensue. Maybe people will disregard you. Maybe you won't get the job. Maybe you will be excluded from certain communities. Yet in that same group of people that will exclude you, from being somebody they want to listen to or learn from. There's other people that God is calling. And the truth that you simply share, the truth that has changed your life, the truth that is making a difference in your marriage and how you parent and how you eat and how you drink and how you, how you lean into your political affiliations and your sexuality, all those things that are under the authority of Christ, they become a light to those that God is calling. Interesting in that verse right there, for the word of the cross is foolishness. The word foolishness is, is the word moriah, is where we get the word moron. How many of us want to be identified as moronic? And yet this is what Paul is saying. Listen, if you're going to stand for the truth, you're going to be looked upon as a moron. 1 Corinthians 2.14, one chapter later. But the person without the spirit does not... Receive what comes from God's Spirit, because it is foolishness. It is mariah to him. He's not able to understand it, since it is evaluated spiritually. This is good news, and this is a little different than a lot of us have been taught in church. Several of us, many of us, have been taught that we need to have our apologetics down, which is great. We need to know our Bible, which is right. We need to know ways to parry and defend in debates, which by the way, I think is wrong. You and I need to know the truth and the truth does what? It sets us free. It also sets free those whom God is calling. So my encouragement to you today is not to stop reading your Bible or stop reading good theology and commentary and come into a deeper comprehension of this beautiful truth that we share. But my encouragement for you today is to be okay when people disregard what you say. To stop being so thin-skinned when people call you names, or when they disregard you. This has been happening in the church since the very beginning. Paul was not trying to save them. If you want to know the truth, only the Holy Spirit can do that. He was trying to give them the truth and trusted the Holy Spirit with what he chose to do. Do you catch that difference there? So if you and I, if we're trying to shake people into the kingdom, you just got to listen to me, you got to hear me, you're, you're, you're missing it by a mile. You're not going to save anybody. I've never saved anybody. But the fact is, as we share the truth, the Holy Spirit chooses to use us in moments to speak his supernatural power into a, a second of relevance. And this is how the seeds of the gospel are shared. You don't need to be a great speaker. You need, don't need to know the whole Bible back and forth. You need to know Jesus and him crucified. You need to know the fact that if you're looking behind you, where you come from and where you are today, that things have changed and that the Holy Spirit has brought in a different mindset. Fronio Cristo, of Christ. He has brought a different attitude towards things. He has brought a comfortability with being under the authority of somebody who is greater than yourself. Do we do this? Better question. Do we understand that this is the right protocol? Speaking truth in love, not compromising that truth, and trusting the Holy Spirit with the reception. There is much more longevity in this mindset than you and I thinking, okay, we got to soldier up, and we just, we have to account, we got to take the hill, we got to do these things. Listen, community is super important in the body of Christ. It's absolutely relevant and needed But you're not the one making a difference. The Holy Spirit is. And so you and I are called to know our Bible. We're called to tell the truth. And we're called to do this with gentleness and respect, as Peter says. Let's share, let's talk about some of the philosophies that were mainstream during this day. And let's ask ourselves if these are any of the philosophies we see today in our culture. First one, a big one was determinism. A definition, do you believe you have free will? Yet at the same time, if you believe in science, then all events have causes following natural laws. You, are de- you have determined to figure things out. If you study enough, you'll get it. Self-taught, no lessons. You're that person. That was the philosophy. It's a philosophy today. Another one is nihilism. Um, what do you believe in? What gives your life meaning how do you know what's true? If you can answer these questions without saying nothing, you're, you're not a nihilist. Nihilism most simply means believing in nothing. I think it's one of the most goofy philosophies out there. But I'm telling you, I run into people in bars and gyms and restaurants and on planes all the time that will say, I don't know what I believe in. I don't really care. Actually, what they're leaning into is one that we'll talk about in just a second. Next one is pantheism. You guys see a lot of this on the West Coast. We see a lot of it in the hill country here in Texas. Um, it's the belief that God equaled the universe, and the universe is God. And if you have a puppy, God's in the puppy, and, the, and, and you guys are all one. The word God on this is just another word for nature, or everything that exists is the same. Next one is skepticism. You know he's Skeptics. You know anybody, and maybe you're that person that just has a hard time believing anything. I think as you become older in your adult life, you're automatically a little bit of a skeptic because you've been lied to a lot, you've been disregarded, you've been abused, you've been treated dishonorably, and therefore there's a healthy level of skepticism. Here was the philosophical thought Um, Are you skeptical about holistic? medicine? Are you skeptical about big pharma? Are you skeptical about climate change, the existence of extraterrestrials? Uh, We've come to use the word skepticism in our society more often to express doubt. But originally in ancient Greek, what they would say was the philosophy of questioning all claims, religious, ethical, scientific, or otherwise. Just question everything. I'm not quite sure that's bad in its essence, but you and I as believers, there's some things we should not question. There's some things that you and I need to be adamant about when we're talking to people and they say, well, I don't believe in Jesus. What do you believe in? And in that moment of weakness and cowardice, you respond with, well, you know, blah, 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 and you compromise. It's, it's okay for you to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I believe that Jesus Christ walked this earth for 33 plus minus years and that he did some phenomenal things and that he never sinned. I believe that he gave his life on the cross. I believe that he shed shed blood for me. I believe on the third day he rose again from the dead, conquering sin and death once and for all. That's what I believe. Would you like to get another beer? We need to be willing to say these things. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Church, why are we so afraid of speaking about the truth the next one is, is uh, hedonism. I think we're all clear with what hedonism is worldwide. The philosophy of pleasure, mental, emotional, definitely sexual. It means doing whatever brings you the greatest amount of pleasure regardless of any other effects. This is about me. This is my choice. This is my life. This is my body, etc., etc. As Christians, we, we have to come against hedonism and say, no, this is, this is not about me at all. This is about Christ crucified. This is about God having all authority over me because he has bought me with his shed blood. And I have been given eternal life because of his choice to call me. Last one, Taoism. Um, you see this all over our country now too. One of the main strands of traditional Chinese philosophy gets his name from the idea of the Tao, which means the way, which is a uh, Human perception, if you will, a reality that Taoists strongly associate with the natural world. For Taoists, the ultimate goal of human life is to understand this reality and to learn to live in harmony with it. Every one of these philosophical ideals or mindsets have to do with the individual deciding they know what's best. All thoughts are based on our decision. We decide, we choose, we manage, or have authority over our own philosophies. The way of following Jesus Christ is radically different. Jesus is preordained. Jesus has saved. Jesus has chosen to give us life through his decision, not ours. There is a huge difference here, which means that you and I have some truth to share to people that they need to hear. And it's important, regardless of how they respond, it is important, it is imperative that we, the church today, speak up and tell the truth. Scripture goes on and says this. Others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities, talking about Paul, because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Why would they reply that this was a foreign deity more than likely because paul was speaking clearly to the fact that there was no other god jesus was the only way not just one of them paul was not coming along these philosophical professionals and saying hey i hear what you're saying and you're probably right too but i want to share another way of being right he was saying there's only one god he was saying there's only one way to god And it's through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Messiah that we Jews have been waiting for for years and years. This is our culture today though, right? Many ways to God, your truth, my truth. It is quite offensive to be told your way is wrong, isn't it? So therein lies the conundrum, right? Do we not offend or do we offend? I think it's how we do it. I think what we're seeing Paul here What he's doing is he's telling the truth. He's being extremely clear about it, but he's not getting up in their face. He's not calling them stupid or moronic. He is willing to risk the danger of them thinking he is a moron. He's okay with that. He has something they need. And what he's doing is he's presenting it to them and allowing them, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in them. Verse 19 They took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, may we learn about this new teaching you are presenting because what you say sounds strange to us and we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Philosophers and religious people, more adherence to knowledge than to practice, more adherence to, look how smart I am, look how much I know. I know all the philosophies. I know all the religions. I've read the Bible. I've read the Quran. I've read this and that. I have all this knowledge. My question at my age, now at 52, is when I see people be passionate about something, I want to understand and see what are they doing with it. I'm tired of even people in our own camp, the Christian camp, the evangelical camp, that have all this knowledge, and yet they're not discipling anybody. They're not picking up their cross and following Christ. They're not being humble. They're not giving of anything. They're just thinking that their tithe to the world and to God is the knowledge that he has given them. And that's garbage. More adherence to knowledge than practice. It should be As you and I come under the truth of Christ, a phenomenal adherence to the calling of Jesus to be more like him, to care for people, to love people, to feed people, to clothe people, to walk with people, to weep when they weep, and to laugh when they laugh, to enter into community regardless of whether you have some anxiety or I'm an introvert, which by the way I am, is our calling to open our homes, to open our lives, to open our hearts, And be more like Jesus. Just because you know something doesn't mean you practice it. Verse 22. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. I would say that Texas and Seattle are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who has made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has dis- determined their appointment, times, and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God. And perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Since then, 29, we are God's offspring. We shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. I'll give you just a few attributes that we see of God. And this is a truth that you and I are able to share with much kindness, with much care, with much patience, not irritation or impatience or demand Attributes of God presented to the Athenians by Paul in a very much a pluralistic culture in that time. These are the same things that we can present, that we can present to our people, to our friends and family, the attributes of the God you and I say we believe in. First one, God is Lord of everything, not just a few things. We can say clearly to our family and friends that the God I serve is Lord of all heaven and all earth. He is over everything. He has complete dominion. That's going to irritate some people, but it's the truth. Number two, God is not kept in a shrine or temple. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere. You can Go out to nature, which a lot, of, a lot of people love to do, and worship God there. You can come together in a community group. You can have a prayer time with your spouse or your children. I like to pray randomly for people I meet. I took an Uber yesterday to pick up one of our cars that was being worked on. Uh, a brother, uh, Felipe was his name, uh, I talked to him about Jesus for a while. And before I got out of Uber, I said, can I pray for you, Felipe? He said yes, and I put my hands on him. And I prayed for him. God is not kept in your box or your emotional stronghold. He is everywhere. He will not be contained. Number three, God needs nothing from you. He is self sufficient. God is not waiting for you and I to come on his team, and then he is so thankful that finally he has us, finally, he has our knowledge. Some of us are so puffed up with knowledge and no action. Or finally, a lot of us are filled with action. Now we find God has us on his team. Now he can really accomplish things. God needs nothing from you. You can tell people this. God is the provider of all things you need. Everything anyone you meet needs. Those needs can be provided by the God you and I serve. That is good news. That is real truth. Number five, God has complete authority over your whole life. We can tell people, and this is really where you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit and say it the right way, but people need to understand that sin or a sinner's life is a life of slavery. And people that trust in Jesus to take away our sin, who calls us to live under his authority, as scripture says, his slaves, he's bought us. That is real freedom. Under the authority of Jesus is freedom. Under your own authority is slavery. Number six, God is not far away. He is available to you. I think of Challenge people quite a few times in a conversation, maybe in a public setting, maybe somewhere I'm not going to see them, again, to say, listen, if what I'm talking to you about is real, then I would encourage you tonight before you go to bed, just ask, say, God, if you are who Tom said you are, reveal yourself to me. And that's a powerful prayer because I know that God is omnipresent and omniscient. He knows everything. He is everywhere. He is over everything. He can answer the designs and desires of people that seek him. Number seven, God is not fashioned by our imagination. He is I am. He is the I am God. God. He is not waiting for you and I to custom make him into our own little selfish paradigm of what a God should be. He is, I am. Verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Paul says, now he's calling these Athenians right in front of him, these incredibly smart men and women that probably have a lot of money and a lot of capacity and a lot of power. He's saying, listen, this God that I'm telling you about, the one true God, he's calling you to repent. It's okay for us to tell people that. 31, because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed King Jesus. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. These are formal points that you and I must share with people. This is a burden upon you and me. This is a calling. We have to do business with this. God's command to everyone living, repent. It's a powerful word, repent, which means to turn. Repent from your lifestyle that doesn't please God. Repent from these choices that doesn't please God. Repent from these situations or relationships you're in right now that are toxic. How can anyone repent? It's absolutely impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I both know that. This is a truth we have to give away to people. Number two, I will judge you by my standards, not yours. The God of the ages says to you and to me and everyone we know, you will not decide how I will judge you. I will judge you by my standards, not yours. That ought to run a shiver up and down your spine, man. We we need Jesus. I need, I need Jesus. Number three, your only hope is in King Jesus. Another king, right? This was the point from last week's sermon. Number four, Jesus, the God-man, lived among us perfectly and died for us rising from the dead on the third day, conquering sin and death once and for all, for all those who believe. Verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him, but others said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. Let's come back to the point. Listen, if you're going to be bold and tell the truth, not as a jerk, but as a, a person that really wants others to know the truth that has set you free, some people are going to ri- ridicule you. Are you okay with that? I think a lot of us are not. I think a lot of us, that's a stopping point because we really do deeply care about what at least our tribe thinks about us, what our political affiliation thinks about us, what our core group of f- friends thinks about us, maybe a family that we come from, maybe from a shame culture. We really care about what people think about us. Some ridiculed him, yet some wanted to do what? Hear more. Why? Because God was calling them. So the same truth that was shared was foolishness to one group of people, but it was hope for others. Verse 33, so Paul left their presence. However, some people joined him and believed, including Dionysius, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Paul was made fun of, and yet the Holy Spirit supernaturally used the things he spoke about because they were beautiful truth to irritate and anger some and to draw some others to himself. Here's the action steps, and we're done for the day. Number one, get used to the fact that people will think you're ridiculous and of low intellect for what you believe. You don't have to be quicker or slyer. You just have to tell the truth, but get used to that. Number 2 love your friends family and coworkers well and tell them the truth not your truth the truth and number 3 don't preach but speak with kindness and clarity we see this what Paul does that's what the apostles did that's what great men and women of the faith who have been martyred for years and years and years. This is what's happening in the church in China right now, as Christians are in jail right now, for believing in the same Savior that you and I believe. Church, wake up. Church, stand up. And church, speak out. In the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word, your stories. Sometimes we read biblical stories and we think that was just then. It is obvious to me why you have acts in the canon. This this is telling a story of what we can easily identify with today. So, Father, I lift up everyone that's watching this. I lift up those that are studying this passage. Father, I lift up our hearts. Lord, make us malleable. Soften our hearts. Allow us to receive your truth. And, Father, may we act upon it, not as independents, not as people that have what everybody needs. And if they just listen to us, that's garbage, Father. May we do it with love and care and sincerity till the day you call us home. In your name we pray, King Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. If you want more information about our church or would like to come visit us on a Sunday, go to redemptionseattle.com.